Welcome to the Fem Nation podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs can rise together. Success comes in many flavors. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm White of Gannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Entrepreneur and founder of the Female Entrepreneur Movement, our business is dedicated to helping women start and grow their businesses, increasing financial independence. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to the Fem Nation podcast. Today, I have Joanna Nieves, the owner of Nieves Law Firm, which is really intriguing to me because law has always been something fascinating. So I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you, Joanna. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let me ask you the question of the hour. Where'd you start this entrepreneurial journey of yours? Um, So I started my entrepreneurial journey about five years ago. I was leaving a civil law firm and um, decided that I kind of wanted to do something on my own. And that really stemmed from feeling a need for support and um, the opportunity to give support um, uh, in something that I created. And so I, um, I had an experience at the civil firm that um, I felt management was not necessarily where um, I would have been with a particular issue and decided that if I wanted to see things change, I would necessarily just have to change them myself. And that's what I did. I created a space where I could run a business the way I wanted to run it and treat people the way I wanted to be treated. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So what brought you into law? Um, I kind of fell into law. I studied finance and multinational business at Florida State University. um, And I had the idea that I was going to go and be an investment banker on Wall Street. But I graduated really early. So I finished my first degree when I was like 19 years old. I finished a second degree at 20. And then I'm like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I started thinking that um, I wanted to go into the FBI. And in researching it, I saw that the degrees that they found most appealing were business degrees and law degrees. And I was like, well, I've already got the business degree. Let me look into you know, getting a law degree. And it just so happened that two of my sorority sisters were studying for the LSAT. And I was like, fine, I'll take the LSAT with you guys. And of the three of us, I ended up being the one that went to law school and got the law degree. And during law school is when I really identified like what I was passionate about, which was criminal law. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that passion. What drives that for you? And what, what is, what is the impact you want to make with it? Sure. I think at first it was really about the intrigue, right? It was the only class in law school where I could actually, you know, stay focused. It held my attention. And um, I knew that there was something about this area of law that intrigued me and kept my focus. And then I started doing internships. And at first I worked in the state attorney's office in Leon County. And then I in Florida. And then I worked at um, the state of the district attorney's office in Sacramento County. And so I was actually on the prosecution side 
for my first few years in the business. And I, I felt like that is where I was needed at that time, which was um, in a place where I could see that other people. I observed who was in the courtroom, what everybody looked like, the injustices that were out there and how I could play a role in really one by one, like fixing some systemic changes that needed to happen. Um, Understanding people's background, understanding the mistakes that people make on, on a small or large scale and that those mistakes don't define the rest of their life. Um, And then coming into criminal defense, I kind of carried that over. And so the the entire premise of my business is, the vision is to restore the reputations of people who've been accused of crimes and help them plan for a brighter future. And I felt that I could do that on either side. Mm-hmm. Looking at someone who's made a mistake and saying, hey, this is the path that we've got to kind of set you on so we don't see you cycle back through here again. Um, and that's where my my love for what I do kind of developed. Um, and then just kind of having personal encounters with, you know, people who've experienced the law, encounters like myself in and outside the courtroom and seeing um, some of the, like I said, the injustices that are out there that made me want to strive for seeing it, it played out differently. What are some of the struggles you've had to overcome? in reaching that impact that you want to make? Where do I start? There's so much cross-sectionality between the different layers of discrimination that I experienced myself like as a, a woman, as a, a younger woman in a field that is predominant, that's dominated by older males and um, a woman of color, right? And so just kind of with clients, with, with court staff, having to even present differently so you're taken seriously. I think because I present very young, um, that even, you know, even a couple weeks ago in a courthouse where practically everyone knows me, there's a a new court staff member, or actually it was like a, a deputy outside the door who stopped me from going into a courtroom, assuming that I'm a defendant. And that's not the first time that it's happened. It's just that it was so recent. And I'm like, you know, I've been practicing for almost 10 years now. <laughs> like, oh my God. And, I'm, and for me to be mistaken as somebody who is being accused of a crime. And now that, that just kind of also reinforces the way I know the system works. Right. And, that, and I was going to I was going to say that um, that you have a unique perspective to be able to look through the lens of what. Uh, of the people that you represent. Yeah. You know, so you're able to, yes, um, the, that needs to be changed. You know, (laughs) no, that does not validate those actions, but at the same time, being able to be a piece of that change, that bigger future in what you do is massive. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my goals, and that's why I talk about it so much, because it's like when we discuss these challenges, we also have the opportunity to kind of, one, bring light to the the situations and the implicit biases that people have and kind of this create this awareness that may not necessarily be there or at least address 
awarenesses that are there that people just don't try to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, you know, recently I spoke on a panel, a a women in criminal justice panel, and hearing the different challenges that so many women in law and women in criminal law specifically experience, it's staggering, right? But you can just talk about the challenges over and over, or you can say, all right, here's how I'm going to approach this and, and change things. And like I was mentioning, I still run into that with clients, you know, potential new clients who call in and say, um, oh, you know, they're speaking to me. And then they're like, oh, do you work for your dad? And it's like, no, I don't work for my dad. I actually earned that name on the wall, right? I'm the one that created this and I I did it all without a man's help. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is interesting that you have to kind of explain sometimes or or knowing that they come in and and they're looking and asking sometimes, where are all your diplomas? Like looking for that validation. Um, One of the comments that always come out are like, oh, you're so young, you know? And it's like, if there wasn't, Another attorney, and in this industry, they tend to be older white males, another person there that they were meeting, they would not be asking for that, the verification of their professional expertise and, and almost like proof <laughs> that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it is a consistent and constant um, struggle. And, and then how the interplay of all those things play into running your business. You know, I, I can't hide the fact I am what I am. And so how does that play into like my marketing message and the way I present the business as a whole and, and who I hire on my team and how they um, present the, the brand to the community? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're still in um, the infancy stages of women being in positions of power or holding businesses of power you know, that, that were con- for decades considerably male dominated. And so that's what the cultural shift is still c- trying to catch up with. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there is a mindset and cultural shift that is, is still taking place. And I know, you know, so often we hear that things have changed and, and we've made these massive movements, but at the same time, it's just like, really, we're still dealing with the same issues, just um, a different cover on the book, right? right? And um, it's, yes, I think absolutely. It's surprising to see young entrepreneurs. It's, It's surprising to see women entrepreneurs. I think it's surprising to see young women of color as entrepreneurs. And, um, especially when there is a level of what people perceive as success tied to it. Mm. And that is one of my, one of my pet peeves is the projection of the idea of success because we do that so often. And in the intro podcast that I, that I recorded by myself, kind of laying the framework for this, this, that's one thing I said. So we cannot as women to women as well in the entrepreneurial space, we cannot undermine another woman's success because we are projecting our idea of success on her. Absolutely. And that's a big, there's a big step there, but uh, to your point on uh, the culture and the shift um, there has, some people do try to claim that we've made the changes. No, we've brought awareness and increasingly still speak awareness to the changes 
And there's a discrimination piece inside of uh, women entrepreneurship as well. You know, I've seen it, I've been a part of it, and it was interesting uh, to recognize how I felt at that moment and minimized and in a, on a board, at a boardroom, on a board, you know, and I just thought, really, we're having this conversation. I mean, this isn't even, this isn't even worth my time. And you're coming from the complete wrong angle on this, you know, so feeling that piece of it, I do believe that there has been more awareness on some, you know, the social issues, still the action needs to speak up or a speed up to where the, the, um, conversations that, but women in entrepreneurship also suffer from that same, you know, a similar, similar issue. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, um, you know, because there's so many things, again, mindset wise that come into play, it's like, you know, how do I know what I'm worth? How do I know what to demand? Yes. Um, even, even when, as an employer, when I'm interviewing, you know, women who are coming in here making salary salary demands versus men who are coming in making salary salary demands. Um, what people are willing to demand and how they are willing to demand it um, differs between the men and women that I see coming before me. And and a lot of times it really is. I think just not having that confidence sometimes mm. that it's okay to go in there and, and kind of advocate for yourself and for your worth. Um, it just like a man would, you know, right. no hesitation doing it. Um, and so I, I see that play out in so many different layers, you know, from the employer and entrepreneurial expect, uh, perspective. And even as an entrepreneur, being around um, people who, who are, are, are just forming their businesses maybe, but not necessarily reaching out for help or using their network and feeling like kind of like that superwoman complex, which is like, I have to do all of this on my own versus, you know, I, I know that, you know, I know this person in this capacity who can help me with this and it's okay to use those resources or to have somebody guide me along and how to build my business and utilize my network. How would you uh, encourage the listeners to step into that confidence as a woman entrepreneur? I, um, I paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think a lot of it has to do with really being willing to invest in yourself and invest in the coaching and invest in the development and say, you know, there are some things that, okay, yes, I have a degree in finance. Yes, I have a degree in multinational business, but that's not something that is my day-to-day operations, Mm -hmm. right? I have a degree in law. And for several years, all I was doing was being a lawyer and focused on just being a technician rather than growing an actual business. And it took me reading and researching and attending seminars and business development um, groups and co-working with some of the people in, in different referral networks and so on to realize how important it is to just keep learning about mm-hmm. your craft. And so that's what I encourage people to do is just invest the time and energy in yourself because so many times, for instance, solo attorneys are hesitant to spend because they're operating their business by what the bank account looks like that day. Rather than thinking of it as an actual investment that will lead to returns in the future. So it's super important to just have those conversations. And I think about 
how did I do that? How, how did I kind of fall into knowing how to run a business when I didn't know the importance of mentoring when I was in law school? I, I was the first person in my, in my family to go to a law school. And so I didn't have that guidance outside. But it was really when I moved from Florida to California and I had to start a, a life over right? I had no connections, no friends, no family out here. And it was like, well, what do I do to meet people? I have to network. And in the process of doing that and being involved in organizations and really um, integrating myself in the legal community, I started to see the the fruits of that labor and putting yourself out there, attending things to learn, and then ultimately teaching other people really helps grow your business. So I have a question. Because uh, you mentioned solo solo attorneys, yeah. What's the transition between a solo entrepreneur to a business owner? What did you find in that piece of your journey that um, was critically different between the two? Yeah, I think the critical difference is you're no longer wearing all the hats, mm-hmm. right? Um, even though you bill three, four, five hundred dollars an hour, when you're answering the phone, you are a fifteen dollar an hour receptionist. When you are typing up a, a pleading from scratch, you are a you know an hourly paralegal. And so, realizing that my the, the the highest and best use of my time is not necessarily doing all of those little tasks, that I can make myself more valuable and productive by hiring other people to do that work for me Mm -hmm. um, so we could focus on the sales, the marketing, and the actual deliverables um, of the legal work. And so that was the big shift, which so many, I do believe so many solos are afraid to do in becoming a small firm is hiring. You know, how important it is, again, to have help and have people who can who know what they're doing move move the business along. Right. Yeah. Right. Instead of being an employee, it's almost like um, they're stuck in being all the things. So they get stuck in that employee mode thinking they're being efficient. But yet then when they go to grow, they have to transition out of that employee mindset, that solo mindset to a leadership boss mentality because that's delegation and that's not something that they learned bootstrapping it all the way up to the point where they're now transitioning to a firm, you know, or, or a, a business, you know, that can be in any, a lot of contexts from solo to actually building a business out. It's a difference. Yeah. I think it gets lost in translation too. Fascinating. How do you define success? Oh man. Um, you know, I, I really believe in like walking in my purpose and success for me is feeling confident that I am walking in my purpose. I do believe that um, part of my purpose here is having this like legal ministry, um, so to speak, where it's like I have these people whose lives I'm touching. And the more we grow, the more pe- it, the more people I can help. Right. And so there is this passion for me of um helping people overcome their their past mistakes and also preventing future ones. And so success is growing to a point that we can make those legal, like make justice accessible. Sure. Right. 
there's so many people who are kind of in this realm of, especially in the Bay Area, you don't qualify for free, like indigent representation, but you're, you're not that high above the poverty line. So it's difficult to access a, an attorney, a skilled one who, who provides good work, but also um, is affordable. And I wouldn't say that we are necessarily in, we're not cheap, right? Sure. But, but we do have means for giving everyone access. Um, whether that's a sliding scale or whether that's, you know, a structured plan that helps them at least get the representation that they need right now. I think it's just important to be able to help the people in our community. Um, and that's what I define as success. Like, do people know that we're doing good work uh, more so than what the numbers show? Because I think the numbers are a reflection of the good work that we're doing. It's like a natural byproduct. Yeah, for sure. What, without specifics, what are, what are some of the fruits of your labor? Some of the outcomes that have come from the work that you do? Yeah, um, I would definitely say I know we are um, a very high grossing law firm in terms of revenues. Um, we actually just got named as the number 12 fastest growing law firm in the U.S. by the Law Firm 500. And, and in order to qualify for that, there has to be a rate of growth over the last three years that um, is calculated based on, um, you know, doing $100,000, at least $100,000 in 2016 and over um, half a million in 2019. And so without specifics, that gives you an idea that our law firm is producing um, at a rate that most small firms don't get to. Uh, and, and it's uh, the exponential growth, I think, our, our number, it was definitely over 300% growth in the last three years. I think it's like 324 or something. And um, the fruits of that labor are, you know, I have freedom to travel. I have freedom to have a team who can help. Um, I have the freedom to af- not necessarily just spend money how I want or whatever. You don't have to worry. I don't about have to necessarily wor- worry about things. And it's a, it's a very liberating feeling that um, the labor that I have put in all of that sweat equity has turned out to be fruitful and being able to see it continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth it, but you have to be all in, you know, you can't just say, well, I kind of want to treat my business as um, a business today, but tomorrow it's just my hobby, right? There are a lot of people who are solo attorneys that, yeah, they can still travel and they can still do X, Y, and Z, but that's because it's not their primary focus. And so it's really about whether or not you're just being a lawyer to, or yeah, in my case, being a lawyer because you enjoy practicing law or, um, being a lawyer because you enjoy the law, but you also want a business that can reach more people. Mm -hmm. And then also on the impact side, the lives that you change. Yeah. Your work. That's the best part, right? I've got people who are, you know, facing deportation from the country or, you know, being 
being removed and stripped from the, the family they have here or the lives they've built over years and years. And we've, we've been able to stop those things. We've been able mm. to, um, you know, see people who were being held in custody on false charges released. Um, I mean, just the, the impact that we're making and the things that we're doing, I know, like I said, I know we're doing good work. I know it's purposeful work and I truly believe in the mission. And I think that's what makes it easy. Um, it's not easy, but it makes right, it but digestible. Um, yeah. Doing it every single day and not you know, not getting tired of it. Are there times where it's just like, yeah, it's, it's stressful and and scary sometimes being an entrepreneur because you're always looking at the numbers. You're always, you know, or it should be (laughs) focus on your sales, your marketing, your metrics and all of this stuff. And then you're like, all right, what do we need to do this month? And what do I need to earn today and tomorrow? And, um, to continue sustaining it and to continue growing. Do you think the successful entrepreneurs out there need to be impact driven in order to stand the test of time? In my opinion, yes. Um, uh, I, I do think so, but I, I, I think it's possible to run a business simply on seeing a need and feeling the need and um, not necessarily having this huge like world impact, um, but more so coming up with a creative ingenious idea that is profitable. I think that's possible, but I, I, I also think that those type of business businesses are the ones that grow to be sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, you make your money, you get out versus something that you grow to sustain. And maybe, you know, I, I can envision, yes, my law firm could be sold. It could also be family run. If it, right. my family ever had an interest in doing it, if I ever had a family, sure. um, so those are, I think having an impact target is, like I said, um, makes the work worthwhile mm-hmm. and makes it easier to do over and over each day. Mm-hmm. How about entrepreneurial lifelong learning? How do you, what do you do now? I know you have requirements, you know, due to your profession, but what past that? Do you read books? Do you you know, attend specific conferences. How do you keep that up for you? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yes, there are legal requirements that I have, but there, the surprising thing is that there is no requirement, like equivalent for entrepreneurs. Like you don't have to read books. You don't have to attend like continuing um, entrepreneurial education. But I, I do. I um, Quarterly, I go to live quarterly meetings and meet with other people who are um, running a business, uh, specifically small law firms. And um, I attend seminars quarterly um, regarding um, staffing, productivity, measuring your business, metrics, marketing, sales, everything related to the functioning of a successful business versus how to produce legal work. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's the things they teach you in law school, right? They teach you how to think like a lawyer and then afterwards you're required to continue practicing your legal education. But um, yeah, that's what I mean by investing myself. I do continue to do that. I do continue to read. I... Also, um, 
was a member of a local chapter of like an entrepreneurial organization that I met and I would put together like these board packets and just go over what my finances look like right now. What are my goals? How am I working to achieve those goals? And those people were not necessarily entrepreneurs in the legal field. They are across different industries. So it helped to see um, or have this outside perspective of people who weren't in my industry giving ideas and talking about my my growth. Mm -hmm. What about um, your personal development? Personal development, um, I mainly focus that in in church. I am an avid churchgoer. I love it. I am super active. um, And that to me is what helps keep me grounded. Um, and I, I do also read books um, about personal development outside of that. But I think it's really just that interaction with people because I think you can read all the self-help books there are, but it's mm-hmm. about like getting out there and developing in, in application rather than theoretical. Um, and so I get that personally from fellowshipping at church and being with the, the, the community that I surround myself with there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That works. <laughs> so, how, how has the entrepreneurial journey itself changed you as the person? <sighs> so definitely my mindset has changed a lot. And I, I briefly touched on the fact that I was the first person in my family to go to law school, but And so I didn't come from necessarily, I I didn't come from poverty. Um, I didn't come from wealth. I I was definitely like your kind of middle-class family. um, If, if that working paycheck to paycheck and not necessarily knowing um, all of the possibilities out there, just knowing that I wanted to do something big with my life, but relatively speaking, because I didn't know how big, big could be. Um, If that makes any sense, it was more so I knew I wanted to go to college. Then I knew I wanted to do something more. And then after that, um, you know, I was working in a law firm and I knew that it just wasn't the right fit and I wanted to build something myself. And it was actually... So a crazy story, walking around the the lake here with my husband, I think we were just maybe recently married at the time or engaged and um, him telling me, you know, I could see you having such a big business. Like I could see this being a, a million dollar business and doing all, you know, growing this big. And he had this vision for what I was doing when I was planning on leaving my firm. And I was like, I remember crying, walking around the lake saying, she's putting too much pressure on me. All I want to do is make what I'm making right now. And that was that mindset that I was in where it was like, okay, I just want to make, you know, a few tens of thousands of dollars a year and I'll be happy. hundred thousand will make it great and I'm good. And he, you know, he had a different mindset because he saw more in his, you know, where he came from. And, um, that had to change a lot. And I think over time, now I see it the same way that it's not just about, Oh, I I just want to make a little bit of money. It's if you put your mind to it, things can grow and they can grow fast. It's really about, like I said, being committed and all in. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful conversation. Where can the audience, where can the listeners find you and connect with you? 
Um, so we have our website online. It's www.thenevislawfirm.com. And Nieves is spelled like my last name, N-I-E-V-E-S. And um, they can always give us a call at our main line, 510-879-7549. But we are definitely accessible um, online. We're active on social media. We're active on YouTube. And so they can find us. Excellent. And I know you're needed. So needed (laughs) for what you do. Congratulations on all those benchmarks, on everything you've done. You know, I want, I mean, the listeners don't get to see, you know, who I talk to. They just get to hear. But your accomplishments are amazing. And, you know, where you've put yourself out there is nothing short of really taking the entrepreneurial spirit and moving forward with it. So it's such a great testimony to the listeners. It's such a great leadership role that you've stepped into. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this and taking your time to ask me all these questions and really having the, the vision and purpose to like inspire other people to, to take hold of their lives and create something out of nothing. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on today. Guys, definitely check out where she's at because there is going to be a need somewhere to connect with her or to have a conversation or definitely to utilize their services. But as always, keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Fem Nation podcast. Be sure to check out our show notes for more details from the episode. If you love the show, share it with a friend or drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you over at whitedevgannon.com or find me on social media. Until next time, keep moving forward.